pray to that. Our Father, we thank you that you speak to us and that you speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you'd speak to us as individuals and as a church family this morning and we'd learn more of you and learn to live for you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard it said that God helps those who help themselves? What do you make of a statement like that? Is it true? Is it false? Is it partly true? Is it totally wrong? God helps those who help themselves. Well, our reading today reminds us of a time when people helped each other. It's a story of surprising acts of human kindness. But even more than that, it's a story about how God is kind to people. And it's here to help us understand how God shows his kindness to us, what his kindness does and how we can get a hold of his kindness. And I think those are very important lessons for us to learn because sometimes God's kindness can be hard to spot. It's not usually hard to spot in other people, is it? Something said or something done that goes beyond the call of duty. The offer to help out at home, a phone call from a friend who knows we're going through a hard time, a colleague who cuts us some slack at work, or a friend who takes a special interest in our worries. But what about spotting God's kindness to us? Is it even right to think of God as a kind God? Yes, he's holy, he's perfect, he's powerful, he's totally in control of everything, but is he kind? Is God gentle and tender? And patient? Does he go above and beyond the call of duty? Is he ready to get to cut us some slack? Is he concerned about our concerns? And is he ready to put himself out for us? And if you're here last week, you remember that tragedy has struck Naomi's family. She went with her husband and her sons to Moab to escape the famine in the land of Judah. You can see that on the map up there. There's Judah uh, and there's Moab. But um, in Moab, her husband died. Her sons married two local women, but then her sons died too. And eventually, after about 10 years, Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem is over. And so she heads home with one of them, with Ruth. But when she gets back home, she is a bitter and broken woman. She's convinced that she has no future and no hope of seeing God's kindness again. But as we begin chapter 2, the narrator drops a pretty big hint that all is not lost. So verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. You see, Naomi thinks she has got no hope, but God has put a hero in the wings, a knight in shining armour, a man of standing whom God is going to use to bring his kindness into Naomi's story. Because that is so often what God does. As we learn in our first lesson, God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people. God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, 
my daughter. Well, Naomi seems either too exhausted or too depressed to do very much at all. But perhaps she's told Ruth about the provision that God's law made for the poor. Because inevitably, as crops were harvested, the harvesters dropped some of the crops on the ground, and uh, they were not allowed to go back and pick it up. They were to leave it there for the poor to come along and pick up themselves, to glean, because God did not want them to go hungry. And Ruth plans to take advantage of this generous provision. But she doesn't plan where she goes. Apparently, that is all down to chance. Verse 3. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Who would have known that it would have worked out like this, that she just happened to end up in Boaz's field? Could it be that there is another actor acting behind the scenes of this story? Well, Boaz's first words would seem to suggest so. Verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Surely this was more than an ordinary hello. Boaz, we've been told, is a man of standing. Now, that probably indicates that he's wealthy and powerful, but he's not just wealthy and powerful, he's also godly, because his faith seems to transform his daily life. The first words on his lips as he greets his workforce are, the Lord be with you. And the fact that his faith transforms his daily life becomes even more obvious in his first words to Ruth. So just look on to verse 8. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz goes above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, When he tells Ruth to join his women, it's as if he's enrolling her in his workforce, in his staff. And when he says... Uh, he, he, what's more, he's put in a stern word with his men. He said to them, don't touch her. Boaz knew what could happen in the harvest fields to a defenceless young woman like Ruth. But he says, it's not going to happen on my watch. Don't touch her. And, as if, and if, it, if that isn't enough, he's paid for her drinks all day. No wonder she is totally bowled over, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? You see, she went looking for favour. But what has she done to deserve such favour as this? Where has this kindness come from? What has she done to deserve it? Well, we'll come back to Boaz's answer to her question a bit later on. But for now, I just want us to continue to see how the Lord's kindness to Ruth overflows through Boaz because Ruth has only just begun to taste how kind Boaz is. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. He's paid for her drinks and he's paid for her meal as well. This hungry, empty widow is filled up to the brim 
And she even gets a doggy back. She's got a load left over. And the kindness just keeps on coming. Verse 15. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. See, this goes way beyond what the law said was necessary. Ruth is no longer at the back of the queue. She's not even in the middle of the queue. She's at the front of the queue. Her harvest, his harvesters are harvesting for her, going along accidentally on purpose, picking out some grain and dropping it on the floor for her to pick up. They must have thought it was crazy. And it was crazy kindness. Because Boaz is not just following the letter of the law. He's following the spirit of the law also. He cares less for his own profit and more for how he can profit someone else. He understood the sentiment behind Paul's words in Colossians 3 verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. See, if God has shown kindness to his people, by choosing us to belong to him, then it is right and natural that we express that kindness to others. Boaz knew that. Boaz knew what it was to belong to the people of God and pass on that kindness to other people. Without him, who knows what evils might have happened to Ruth in that harvest field. But God writes Boaz into the story so that Ruth receives kindness instead. It's often the way God works. God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people. And perhaps we can think of someone we know who is a little bit like Ruth. They don't fit in. They're an outsider. They're vulnerable, lonely, down on their luck. It would be easy to ignore them, or take advantage of them. But if we've received God's kindness as God's people, we're called to pass on that kindness to others, not to do what is expected according to the letter of the law, not to do what is comfortable and not very costly to us, but to do what Boaz did, to go above and beyond the call of duty. Kindness may well cost us time and money and emotional energy. It may look crazy. It might impact our existing relationships or our reputation, but there are fewer greater privileges than being a channel for the kindness of God. So I wonder, is there someone to whom God is calling you or me to be kind this week? Maybe someone in our community, or our workplace, or our wider family, but maybe someone here in our church family, or in our family at home. Because that is where God's kindness started, isn't it? Amongst the people of God. As we read elsewhere, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, God's kindness, he often shows his kindness through the kindness of his people, so it should be most visible among his people, the church. So let us thank God, I think, for every instance of kindness demonstrated among us. And let us pray that more and more we would be channels of God's kindness to one another. Because God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people.
And when he does that, there is the potential to transform lives in the most wonderful ways, as we learn in our next lesson, which is what happened to Naomi. God's kindness heals the faith of wounded saints. God's kindness heals the faith of wounded saints. Verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it mounted to about an ephah, which, by the way, is about 13 kilograms. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Now, I think I wonder if she had a wheelbarrow to carry it home, and several containers of lunchtime leftovers. No wonder Naomi can't contain her surprise when Ruth gets home from work. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth keeps Naomi hanging on for as long as she possibly can. Do you notice how she repeats almost word for word um, Naomi's question? And she doesn't give her the answer until the very last word to build up the suspense. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Well, we've known about this hero since verse 1, and I guess Naomi knows something about him, judging by her response. But this news is too good to be true, because at last, Naomi realises that God has not forgotten her. The Lord Bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Very quickly, do you notice Naomi's thoughts move from Boaz to the Lord. Despite everything that has happened to her, she believes God is still there. He's working behind the scenes for my good. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. The thought that her husband had no heir to carry on the family name was perhaps the most significant source of grief for Naomi. But now she sees hope on the horizon in the shape of Boaz, her husband's relative. We're going to learn much more about that over the next two weeks. But Naomi, when she returned home, was broken and bitter by the trials and sadnesses of life. She considered God her enemy. She said, his hand has gone out against me. But through Boaz's kindness to Ruth, she sees the Lord's kindness to her. And God begins to heal her wounded faith. As you read through the book of Ruth, the Ruth of chapters 3 and 4 is almost unrecognisable. Sorry, the Naomi of chapters 3 and 4 is almost unrecognisable from the Naomi of chapters 1 and 2. She is no longer depressed, despondent bitter and hopeless because her faith in God has come alive again. And so Naomi suddenly starts to take the initiative. She starts to push the boundaries to see what God will do for her and for Ruth. Perhaps we have a friend whose faith has hit the rocks in a Naomi-like way. We empathise with their plight. If we had to endure what they'd endured, we'd probably be in the same place. If we're honest, they can sometimes be hard to spend time with. Their language and demeanour is draining. Their spiritual depression exhausts us, and we've almost given up on them. But if it seems too hard or too 
unlikely or too costly or too late for our friend's faith to be brought to life again, it is worth remembering Naomi because God's kindness heals the faith of wounded saints. We don't know exactly how God will heal a person's faith. There are no guarantees that he'll do it. But when God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people, he so often does do it. Kindness is a wonderful spiritual medicine and God has given you and me the privilege of dispensing it. Is there a struggling believer to whom God is calling you and me to be kind? A friend whose faith is acutely wounded by a specific season of trial? Or a friend whose faith has been chronically injured over a long period of hardship and trouble? Naomi's story, I think, provides us wonderful motivation to show kindness to our friends. Because no matter how costly, no matter how hard, no matter how crazy it looks, God's kindness heals the faith of wounded saints. Well, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at Boaz and Naomi, so there's just a danger that we might forget the true heroine of the story, Ruth. Because her story answers some of the most critical questions about God's kindness. Who is it for, and how can we get hold of it? So let's look back at her story. Let's spot some of the details we've skimmed over as we've gone through and learn our third lesson. God's kindness is for outsiders who boldly take refuge in him. God's kindness is for outsiders who boldly take refuge in him. Uh, Ruth is a plucky and feisty woman, and she will not let her situation uh, get on top of her. She won't let it, she won't take it lying down. And I think we see that especially in the overseer's answer to Boaz's question. Let me go back to verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. There's actually quite a bit of debate about what these verses mean and what Ruth actually did. It could be that she's been working hard all day, as our translation suggests, and she's just had one short break. But, but actually, it could be that she's been pushing the boundaries about what was allowed. Because you notice she doesn't just want to pick up fallen grain behind the harvesters. She wants to pick up fallen... Uh, she wants to gather among the sheaves. In other words, amongst the, the, the grain that has already been gathered up into bundles. She's saying to the overseer, I don't want to be at the back. I want to be at the front of the queue. And it could be that she hasn't even started working yet. That she has issued her demands to be at the front of the queue and not the back. And she's sitting there waiting for permission to be granted. And the last words of verse 7 suggest, I think, that that might be what's going on. Literally, the overseer says, This, her sitting, the house, a little. It's almost as if he's in so much shock that he can't get the words out. He hasn't granted permission to her request, and he doesn't know what what Boaz is going to say to her. Her boldness has, has left him speechless. He's stumbling over his words. 
He's thinking, what should I do with a woman like this? And all that boldness from a woman who doesn't really belong. Do you notice how our storyteller won't let us forget where she came from? Verse 2, Ruth the Moabite. Verse 6, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab. She calls herself a foreigner in verse 10. And even at the end of the chapter, verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, she doesn't belong. But it's Boaz who really rubs our nose in her foreign roots. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you didn't know before. Ruth is not naturally part of God's people. She belongs in Moab, not Judah. But she set out on a journey of faith and she committed her present and her future into the hands of Naomi's God. Boaz knew that, and so he prayed for her. Verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's the second time in the book when someone has prayed for Ruth. There are two prayers, essentially, in Ruth by the end of the story. Both of them are answered. In chapter 1, Naomi prays that the Lord would be kind to Ruth and Orpah back in Moab and give them a family. And uh, Naomi expects God to answer that prayer in Moab. But Ruth decides to leave Moab. And so now Boaz prays that Israel's God would repay her. And this prayer, verse 12, is the centrepiece of the whole book. Because it is at least partly true that God helps those who help themselves. But the way in which we need to help ourselves is to do what Ruth did, which is to take refuge in God. Ruth realised that she didn't deserve God's kindness, but she went looking for it anyway in Judah. And we realise that we have no claim on God's kindness either, but we still need to look for it and say, I need it, I want it. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In other words, like Ruth, we lived in Moab, a long way away from the one true God and with no claim on him. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We can't earn God's kindness or help, but God offers it to us in his saviour, Jesus. And if we boldly take refuge under his wings, we will receive his saving kindness. Perhaps this morning you realise that you haven't yet taken hold of that kindness. And you're conscious that you're an outsider when it comes to God. Why not make today the day you take refuge under Jesus' wings, trusting him to care for you and save you in this life and beyond? And if you're a believer here this morning but are struggling to spot God's kindness to you, why not ask him to help you remember that there is no greater kindness than this, the kindness he's already shown you in Christ, and which we remember shortly 
with bread and wine. Because God's kindness is for outsiders who boldly take refuge in him. God's kindness can be hard to spot, but God is a kind God. As Naomi said, he does not stop showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And we're going to see that kindness, that story of kindness, unfold in the most beautiful ways over the next couple of weeks as Naomi's story continues. But for now, let's remember those lessons we've learned. God shows his kindness through the kindness of his people. God's kindness heals the faith of wounded saints. And God's kindness is for outsiders who boldly take refuge in him. Should have a moment of quiet uh, to pray that ourselves. And um, then I'm going to pray a prayer called the Prayer of General Thanksgiving, which speaks about God's kindness. Um, it's on the service sheet, also on the screen. As you're having a moment of quiet, you might like to look through that. So let's have a moment of quiet to pray ourselves.